one of the, the takeaways and lessons from my work as a student affairs educator that, that has really stuck with me uh, in parenting is this idea of self-work and uh, looking inward and, and really doing my own work first. Uh, and so, you know, I, I really think about that with parenting because I think so much of what I'm um, teaching my daughter, it really starts with me. It starts with the, the model that I give her, the way that I go about, um, you know, walking through the world. Welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I'm your host, Glenda Guzman, and happy Father's Day. Today, in honor of Father's Day week, we're sharing the perspectives of several fathers who work in or adjacent to student affairs in higher education on this podcast today. We're gonna to be discussing the many challenges facing our panel of guests as caregivers during the pandemic, the expectations placed on men as caregivers, as well as just various lenses and um, various joys, just, just being a uh, dad and being a student press professional or higher education faculty member. I wanna add that I'm really, just really thrilled about this topic in part because I have no clue what to expect from this panel. I just know they're awesome fathers and they're phenomenal student affairs, higher education professionals. So this will be really cool to just to hang out with them and talk story. So before I introduce the guest today, I'm going to share uh, more about our podcast sponsors so um, and just our podcast in general. So Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every Wednesday, uh, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com. YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And let's talk about our sponsors really quickly because we would not have these if it wasn't for them. Uh, so our first sponsor um, of today's um, show is Simplicity. A true partner, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. And by Stylus Publishing, visit styluspub.com. And if you use promo code SANOW, so S-A-N-O-W, you get 30% off and free shipping. Cannot beat that deal. So at the end of the podcast, I'll share a little bit more about our sponsors. Um, but let me reintroduce myself again. My name is Glenda Guzman. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at the University of California, Berkeley. And I'm recording this episode from Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the unceded territory of the Pelnan tribe of the Ohlone peoples. And my awesome panel of dads, I want to welcome Donnie Brooks from McAllister College, Kyle Ashley from St. Cloud State University, Wilson O'Kello from the Penn State University, and Keith Humphrey from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. So we're talking about being a dad. So let's start with introductions. Let's get the audience to know um, your awesomeness a little bit better. So let's start with, um, oh, and not just your awesomeness, but your kids' awesomeness. So make sure you send a shout out to your own kids. But um, let's start with you, Donnie. Tell us a little bit about you. Hi, my name is Donnie Brooks and I serve as the Director of Athletics at McAllister College. I've been here over three years now. Um, and I am also a dad to Alana, 15, 
Peyton, who is 12, and Emmanuel, who just turned four years old. So uh, happy birthday, Emmanuel, and hi to Alana and Peyton. I should also shout out my partner in this, uh, in this game of life, Chevy Brooks. So happy to be here with you all today. Thanks, Donnie. Kyle. Hi, everybody. My name is Kyle Ashley. He, him pronouns. Uh, I'm calling in from the stolen lands of the Dakota and Ojibwe people in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and I, I do a lot of different things. Primarily, I am an adjunct faculty member at St. Cloud State University and the College Counseling and Student Development Program. Uh, I also do some consulting with my uh, partner and wife, Ariel Ashley. Uh, we also are a co-parenting team as well, and I, I, I couldn't be here and I couldn't talk about parenting if it weren't for her as well. So I uh, definitely got to give her a shout out. Uh, my daughter is Azalea Ashley. She's three and a half years old, going on 13. Um, she loves uh, pink and uh, princess dresses and crowns and, and all things Disney. So uh, that is the phase that we're going through right now. Um, and then in addition to all that, I am a practicing yogi and I'm going through yoga teacher training and going to be starting uh, teaching yoga in the fall. And so uh, those uh, breathing techniques come in very handy uh, when there are meltdowns and uh, loss of patience. So it's a, it's a handy tool to use for, for parenting and for, for work as well. So happy to be here. Happy to have you here as well. Wilson. And greetings. Greetings, everybody. Uh, my name is Wilson Okello. I am a, a son, a brother, a friend, a godfather, um, a partner and husband to Morgan Okello, um, a confidant, curator, steward of dreams, father to a curious, joy-filled, and I like to say everything good, a one-year-old, uh, 13 months now, uh, named August Ashe Okello. Um, and so excited to be here. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I am an assistant professor uh, at the Pennsylvania State University. Uh, my work is interdisciplinary in nature and draws on theories of blackness and black feminist theories to think about knowledge production and student development theory. I also think and, and concerned about uh, racialized stress and trauma, qualitative inquiry, critical masculinities, and curriculum and pedagogy. I join you today from my home, my current home, uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina is located on the traditional territory of the Catawba people and has long served as a site of meeting and exchange among the Kohari, the Lumbee, the Meherin, the Okanichi Saponi, the Halawa Saponi, the Wakamasuan, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee. It's also important that I name Wilmington as a multi-generational site of violence and dispossession, whereas African ascendant people were sold, traded, and subject to the violence of massacre. I'm excited to be here, excited to just be in community with you all. I'm excited as well, and Keith. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Keith Humphrey. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm speaking to you today from um, the Yaktichu Tichu Northern Chumash um, homeland um, in San Luis Obispo, California. I'm Vice President for Student Affairs at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I've, I've been in this role for 10 years. Um, I started this role when my children were four and six, and, and now they're teenagers. Um, so I'm not sure what, what is easier, being Vice President for Student Affairs or parents of teenagers. Um, but they are two absolutely amazing individuals that my husband and I adopted. Um, when we lived in Arizona, we were foster parents for many years um, and found our family um, through that fantastic experience. And so just excited to be with you all today. Excited to have this group here. And that's actually a really good question. What is harder, being a parent 
or being a student affairs professional or a higher education um, administrator or faculty member. Um, well, this is this is a special episode, and it came to be because our um, or you know our fellow student affairs now podcast host Heather Shea hosted a Mother's Day student affairs episode last month. And the idea really generated from a panel discussion at um, ACPA about student affairs moms. And, and I, I believe they have a face group group called SAMS. Um, inspired this episode. Um, and as a result, um, we're here. So I just want to know because when, you know, we had a, when I outreached to all of you, you all that quickly said, yes, I would love to be part of this conversation. So I want to hear from you why you agreed to join this conversation today. And let's start with you, Kyle. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I, I love talking about being a dad um, in any context and, and any situation. Um, I often call my daughter my greatest teacher because I just feel like uh, my life completely changed and turned, and it sounds cliche, of course, you know, every, every dad will say that uh, to some degree. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I really feel like my life really uh, changed and took on a deeper meaning uh, when my daughter arrived. And so any chance I get to talk about that and process that, especially with other dads, it's, it's like gold um, because there's so much that happens in fatherhood on a daily basis that like, you know, even if you have great communication with your partner uh, and you can, you know, chat about that stuff, there's still so much that, that you can process and work through. Um, and so, yeah, I'm mostly just interested in, in hearing uh, the perspectives and, and uh, viewpoints of these other great dads and the things that they've learned along the way. Um, so that's really why I'm here. Thanks, Kyle. Wilson, why are you here? So, so Glenn, you mentioned uh, the, uh, some enthusiasm uh, when we got that email. Uh, I'm going to, I'll be honest, there was some hesitation. From, from, <laughs> there was some hesitation. Um, and, I, you know, there was hesitation really because um, I feel like I'm, I'm still very new to this. Um, 13 months of August sort of being present in the world. But if we sort of think about the pregnancy, um, you know, it's it's close to two years of you know preparing to or, or being a father. And uh, selfishly, I just I have a lot to learn, right? And so the opportunity, as Kyle mentioned, to be in conversation with other parents and caregivers, uh, just felt like a chance to to gather new strategies to share some of my emerging you know and emerging thoughts. Uh, really grapple with what I'm finding are an endless set of questions that come along with the gift and responsibility of raising children in this world. And so generally, I can, I can stand a certain degree of uncertainty in my life. Um, it allows for flexibility, right? Shifts, movements, but parenting, um, I found, right, is, it, I mean, it's an ongoing sort of sense of un uncertainty, right? There are very few clear answers um, you know, particularly for someone who um, can appreciate that sometimes uh, in their work. And so, um, you know, an opportunity to name publicly that I'm still figuring this out, um, to try to figure out what it means to be a Black cis man attempting to raise um, a Black child uh, in this world, um, a world that in endless ways communicates to him or will communicate to him um, that he isn't valued. That, he, that they have little expectation of them. I mean, these are all things that, you know, I think I'm, I'm already grappling with. And so the opportunity to kind of name that publicly and to be in conversation with other folks who, um, you know, I'm certain of uh, these things across their mind um, felt like an opportunity, so. 
I actually appreciate that response because um, the, the authenticity and honesty of that, because I know, I know that, you know, and I didn't share in the beginning, I, I'm a father of an 18 year old um, uh, boy and a, a, a young man, not really, and a 16 year old um, uh, um, <coughs> and, and um, these conversations, these topics, I still grapple with. Um, so it doesn't go away. And you're right, the conversations that I'm able to have with others, like including this conversation, I think will be, I think it's really be very generative for just listening and just kind of just trading, sharing notes and dad jokes at the end. Keith. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I joined for some of the same reasons that Kyle and, and Wilson shared. Like I, I learn so much from my children. I learned so much about myself from my children. Um, I also, um, you know, really struggle with raising racially different children. Um, one of my um, children is um, a Native Mexican um, and one of them is Native American. And so they're being raised by two gay white guys. And so there's a lot of identity issues going on in our house that um, we have to navigate, in, including how we came together as a family. Um, so I always look to learn and listen from others in that space. Um, but, but I also thought it was important to be here as someone who is a vice president for student affairs to be able to really set the tone that no matter what we do in our jobs, we're, we're, our biggest responsibility is to our families. And so as a leader in my division, I try to do that. I um, am known from getting up and walking away from work in the middle of meetings, even in, in the middle of meetings with my president, if something comes up for my kids. And so I think that that's really important to do, to speak out loud because um, I wanna make sure that the same privileges that I have um, uh, as, a, as a VP, the coordinator and entry-level staff member in, in my division has to be able to take care of their family first. Thank you for sharing that. And Donnie, uh, similar to, to Keith's point, uh, family is is the strongest in my short list of core values. Um, and for me, it's always a, a family first decision. And so as I've uh, grown as a parent, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm still growing, honestly. Uh, so what compelled me uh, to join this is I thought there one uh, would be a great opportunity for me to, to, to talk and discuss, listen, and potentially hopefully show how I can model being a better parent, maybe a better father uh, for someone who may be listening. Um, and then I also think I was a beneficiary of, of just having an unbelievable father growing up. Uh, my father did not take on a traditional role in our household. Uh, you know, he picked us up and dropped us off at schools. He cooked the meals in the household. Um, but I, you know, I was probably one of the only kids for several blocks who had their father in the household. And so that experience of growing up with that dad uh, just led me to aspire to be more like Errol C. Brooks every day. Wow. Thanks for, for sharing. And I'm all just happy that you agreed to be here. And, um, and let's dive further into some of your perspectives and just insight. Um, Kyle, um, I want your take on this one. So, you know, just from listening to all of you and just the opening question, just getting the sense of there's still a lot of learning. We're still trying to understand, you know, what it means to be a father. And I read this article that talked about the challenges of being a full-time professional and also being a full-time dad, right? Because, it, you know, being a full-time dad, you're still constantly 
learning. There's so many challenges that we're experiencing that is trying to figure things out. Um, but what there are, they, the, the articles talk about the challenges that um, student affairs, uh, not student affairs professionals, but professionals in general, but I'm thinking about student affairs professionals specifically, the challenge they have of trying to balance um, what is a very involved, like a career where you're engaging with other students all the time, but also trying to be fully present with their kids. And how do you find time for yourself? Because you're, you're constantly giving to the, to the college campus and to the students and you're giving to your kids. When, when do you have time for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I also sort of feel like maybe I'm not the best person uh, to ask about this because I'm, I'm definitely still uh, figuring this out. But, um, you know, I, I think balance is something that, you know, to be honest, I, I kind of threw out the window when my daughter was born. Um, and not because uh, I don't think balance is important, but um, I, I think the idea of having separate lives of dividing myself up into pieces. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't navigate, I couldn't manage that anymore. Um, and so I think when my daughter was born, I kind of made this decision that I was just gonna live uh, wholeheartedly. Um, and so just be my full self in everything that I do. Um, and so in some ways, you know, I, I was trying to navigate, like, how am I gonna talk about this in the podcast? Because uh, pretty much since my daughter's been born, I've kind of like slowly but surely taken more and more steps like away from the field of student affairs. Um, and so I, I'm still, you know, very much involved. I, I teach um, and uh, do some leadership things. I write, uh, do some consulting, but it feels like every day I get closer and closer to my family and a little bit further away from sort of this former professional identity uh, that I had. I, I went through this whole transition where I graduated from my PhD. My daughter was uh, about six months old. We moved here to Minnesota um, and I kind of made the decision that I was just going to be with her full time. Um, and so I did that for almost a year um, until, you know, I, I had uh, some different opportunities, teaching opportunities come along. But in that year, I, I really grew a lot in terms of my understanding of myself as a father and sort of understanding that that identity that I had for myself as a student affairs professional was um, not as fulfilling as maybe it had previously been for me. Um, and so it was a difficult process to sort of shed, you know, shed that skin. Um, because I, I really held tightly to it. You know, it was an identity that really brought me a lot of um, self-worth. Uh, you know, I put a lot of my self-worth in that professional identity for a long time. But when my daughter was born, I, I just saw that, um, you know, the fulfillment that I got from my professional identity, just in, in many ways, it pales in comparison to the fulfillment that I get from uh, being with my daughter and spending time with my family. Um, and so now, you know, what, what I really kind of focus on, especially when I'm, when I'm working and when I'm, I'm with my students and when I'm teaching, um, is thinking about how that time can also enrich my time with my family. Um, you know, how I can take lessons from my teaching, how I can take lessons from my students uh, and bring that into my family life. And then vice versa, when I'm with my family, you know, there are some things that I say, oh, you know, this principle actually could apply really well. <laughs> I remember I did a, a lecture uh, in one of my classes where I used the very hungry caterpillar as uh, sort of like the, uh, the example to help the students understand. Some of them may have liked this, some of them maybe didn't, but uh, regardless, the, the idea is that, you know, um, these lines that we draw between our worlds, um, they don't have to be so rigid. And, and I think for me, 
I found uh, a little bit of um, peace in in blurring some of those lines and, and letting them. And with the pandemic, it really, you know, in some ways I haven't even really had a choice. Those lines have, have started to blur themselves. So um, that that's a, just a little bit of perspective I have on that, but I'm, I'm sure uh, the other, the other uh, folks on the panel probably have a lot more share. Thanks, Kyle. You know, I know for me personally, you know, when it's interesting to hear your story, Kyle, because uh, my daughter was born um, in 05 and I was in the midst of my doctoral um, program. Um, two things emerged out of that. One, I lost all my hair during that time period. But I think the other part was I similarly, I had to make sacrifices. I knew that there was always going to be more work. Um, it, it's just a nature field, but I also had to make tough choices to let go. Right, like I think, and Keith, because I know you're very involved with ACPA, I think during that time period, I stopped going to conferences. I stopped, get, because I had to make those choices because I had to find time, um, still working overtime, but still finding time to just be able to uh, spend with my kids, right? That was my, that was what was bringing me joy. Um, you brought up the pandemic and Wilson, I want to direct this question to you. And it's about um, the, obviously we're still, I, I, I still say we're still in the pandemic, um, but there was a period of time obviously when we were in sheltering in place, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on some of the most challenging aspects just generally or specifically over the past two years and your perspective as a dad and a, and a professional in our field um, with a one-year-old, what was that experience like? So if you ask, it's depending on the day, um, I don't remember it uh, because it felt like such, it felt like such a blur. Um, you know, I really appreciate Kyle's mention. Uh, this notion of what I what I was hearing is this notion of integration and figuring out ways in which we can marry the the various parts of our lives in ways that um, with this this seamless thread, if you will, uh, perhaps not seamless, but there's a thread uh, that runs uh, throughout. Each of those pieces, and so, uh, so thank you for for bringing that into the space. You know, as I, like many others, uh, notions of safety. Um, I mentioned uncertainty. Uh, we're at their height in many ways uh, during COVID. Then this past year, or these past couple of years, um, my partner carried uh, for much of the first year of the pandemic, and our little one was only months old or born, you know, months old as the second sort of iteration. Of, of pandemic was uh, was really taking hold. And so, you know, we tried really hard to keep ourselves healthy, right? Uh, mostly uh, that meant keeping our distance from family and friends. Now we value connection, right? We particularly intimate space with family and friends. My partner comes from a very small family. Um, there's a handful of them, but they are all sort of very tight knit. I come from a family uh, where my mother had eight brothers and sisters. Um, and I remember, uh, you know the, the the various holidays and 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 sort of family gatherings coming together and just sharing the very sort of intimate space so i, I mentioned that to say that we both come from very sort of tight-knit community and when a child enters into our village so to speak um, it's a community event right it's a family event and so we weren't able to do that uh, for um, largely for the for the two years and so it was just us uh, figuring out how to be new parents um, in isolation, in an isolation of sorts. Now we got creative, right? Uh, we had to think 
with you know the various sort of technologies uh, that were available to us, FaceTime, so on and so forth. Um, and that helps, but it's hard to replicate what it means to sort of share space. And so in some ways we, we really missed the intimacy and really missed emerging August, our son, into community in ways that I think were, were palpable, right? That he could be touched, that he could be felt. And so I think that was probably one of the, the main things I think that, um, that really surfaced for us. Additionally, I'm also thinking about, um, I this identity as dad, as not just sort of being a father to August, but being partner as well, right? And the ways I allowed being a father to supersede my responsibilities as a partner unintentionally, but I think my partner felt um, probably perhaps only at, you know, uh, in some ways, felt like I was prioritizing August, you know, baby in some ways and, you know, work and trying to figure out how to keep that moving in some ways um, that, um, you know, if I had an opportunity, I would just do differently, right? As I um, was learning how to, to do this over the course of these past two years, right? I mentioned sort of the pregnancy, but there's also the postpartum. And while, you know, grateful to say that they were, you know, healthy, so to speak, healthy pregnancy and postpartum, I was, it, I think it was still hard, right? Um, and so to do those things, um, you know, me being task oriented, right? So doing the grocery shopping, doing the cooking, doing the, the washing, all those things matter. Um, but sometimes forgetting the, um, to be sort of present um, in a more intimate way, right, uh, with the partner, making sure that she was sort of well, um, again, are things I would probably want to address and do differently. So I say all that to say that I think the pandemic, um, it, it felt like figuring out how to be whole, right, and be, offer 100% to both my partner and to our child um, in ways I think that were just, um, yeah, they were, they were with so much time, right, invest, it was just us, like I said, this very intimate space, uh, figuring out how to do that consistently was, was probably one of the, I think, the challenges that uh, sort of really surfaced for me, so um, things I'm still negotiating, but um, I have a better sense of um, as, as we're sort of, um, you know, moving into a sort of a different space, so. Thank you for sharing that very honest and um, you know uh, your your truth in, in the and not only the relation between you and child but you, and you and partner. I think that's oftentimes that's critical and and I appreciate you sharing that. So thank you, um, Donnie. Um, you know you know obviously the pandemic. I want to stay on the pandemic a little bit and you know were there strategies or were there insights or things that emerged for you. Um, that that intersected with your identity as a uh, higher education professional and father. Yeah, uh, you know, as we I started to, to uh, listen to Wilson talk about this, you know, it just takes me back to this memory of my son being on my shoulder. Uh, he couldn't, we did not put him in daycare early in the pandemic and um, him being in a lot of my meetings and I remember this one time vividly, he had dug into his diaper and I smelled this smell on me. And I immediately had to go on mute because he had just wiped poop all over my, my shirt. And those are some of the memories that, you know, although I don't want to relive those again, like, you, I mean, you'll, you'll never forget the time that you got to spend 
uh, as a family when you could not be in the office in some cases for some folks. Um, and but what I realized after listening to that is I actually got to see my son grow like I didn't get to see my two girls grow. And I think that's kind of changed my approach. Um, also, during the pandemic, my wife has now taken on a, a full time job as a uh, pre-K and kindergarten teacher, um, which means she's out of the, the house earlier than I am. So I get to make sure everybody gets on the bus and gets to gets to school. And you know what? Uh, as selfish as I was trying to be to work at 7.30, get my workout, be in the office by 8.30 so I could get running on emails, what you realize is none of that stuff, that's all going to be here. It is still going to be here when, when you get in the office at night and you can get your workout later on in the day. And so I think that that adapting uh, has shown me like it doesn't have to be done the way we did it before. Uh, I, as I see the comfort level of our staff meeting from everywhere, uh, they're on the road recruiting and they can hop onto a staff meeting and kind of our role is just really be present where, wherever you are, right? Um, and so I think it, it's really been a, a learning experience for me to have the desire to be in person, but for me to learn that people can be productive uh, from a lot of different places. And that includes me. Uh, which, which means that sometimes I don't always have to be the first one in or the last one to go uh, from the office and that, that I can be uh, productive outside of this space as well. And I, my hope is that that's changed some of the pressure that folks may feel to, to always be around or always be in. So some of the things I continue to, to, to work on improving, changing, uh, but, but I, I will say I have left the pandemic a change and a little less, less selfish about having to be the, the face or always around. Um, there are other qualified people. And if I'm truly a developer of leaders, uh, I should be developing other folks to show up and, and, and lead uh, in a way that I know they, were, they have been capable of. Thanks, Donnie. Keith, you wanna to add to that? Sure, Donnie, you know your story um, about uh, getting some poop on your shirt reminded me of a time Oh, dozen or so years ago where we had one of those childcare days and I had to bring the kid to the meeting and the meeting went too long and the diaper got too full and I had to leave the meeting because I was soaking wet. So, you know, that stuff happened in person too. Quite, quite a, a, a professional milestone for me. Um, as I, but, uh, you know, as I think about the pandemic, um, I did so many events from around the kitchen table um with with my kids around I was able to do the do those events on campus and then close the laptop and be present with them and so what I've tried to do um as we have come back to being in person this past year is is really um to not um have to be present all the time for the entire duration of any event that I can be there at the beginning I can visit with students I can support my staff um I can cheer folks on and then I can leave um, and go home and, and see my kids and have dinner with them or, or connect with them about their day before they go to bed um, and, and know that I'm, I'm still um, serving in my professional capacity really well. And so I'm just, I, I think the pandemic has helped me um, try to strike a, a higher level of balance. Um, I know that's something that we're always trying to do in this work, um, but it, it definitely has helped me to know when and where I can just step away and walk away and, and still be okay and successful in my role the next day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so I wanna go back to you, Donnie, 
given your involvement with athletics. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shift my question with it because I want to also open it up to the group if they want to add on to this. But um, I think for those who know me, you know, um, uh, my kids are are involved in in sports, um, and I've always been hyper aware. I I was involved in sports. I've always been hyper aware of just educating my son. Um, and really, and you know, both my kids, but about, but just the the habits um, that oftentimes learned, um, particularly with boys in, in in locker room, like locker room mentality. And um, I know that 2013, I go back to that year because it was a really rough one because I remember making the choice to have a conversation um, with my kids who were young teenagers at the time about Larry Nasser and USA gymnastics. Since my kids are into Taekwondo and it's Olympic sport, I thought great context, great background. But I remember what was in my head and what the conversation ensued <laughs> did not go according to plan. It was a really tough conversation. Um, and we talked about, I tried to, my end goal was to talk to them about what role they can play um, as they're growing up to, to be part of the solution to, 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 um, to end sexual assault and violence and, and, and also to understand your voice and, you, and what you can do to protect yourself. And and I and and that is a microcosm, just the many different things that I oftentimes pull from my work in student affairs, um, you know, in higher education, just about like using case examples, um, looking at anti-Asian hate, looking at the Black Lives Matter movement, just different things, the national unrest and racial violence, using that to have a conversation. I sometimes wonder, is it too much? Because it is too much, right? Um, but I can't stop not wanting to have these conversations because I want them to be as informed as possible. Um, I have this fear, um, this anxiety that I haven't done enough, but I'm also having this fear that maybe I'm doing too much. Um, I'm curious to hear your take on how do you approach talking to your kids about these topics of violence, of hate, um, that's often perpetuated by you know, and it happens in all directions, but, you know, for the sake of this conversation, let's say, you know, um, by, by boys or those who identify as boys. Yeah, it's, um, it's one, I will say that became easier over time because my first two children born were my two girls. And so you, you notice pretty quickly um, a change in you as a father when you become a father of, of uh, these young girls and and now young women, uh, because you want them to be able to uh, not only you know be be willing and able to let you know when something's wrong. Um, uh, so they you know you want them to be able to confide in you as a dad, but you also want them to be able to stand up uh, for themselves, and so. I started teaching my my daughters pretty quickly. Uh, some may may not agree with me, but I, I, I my father could quote Bible scripture and curse you out in the same sentence. And uh, and I heard a comedian once tell a story about how to keep somebody from putting their hands on your kids. And so my my I feel like my my daughters have the skill set to debate you intellectually, articulately or profanely if you come at them the wrong way. And a part of that is really about teaching leadership. Like I, I need them to be able to step up when they see something wrong. Um, and my hope is I've done it well enough 
um, that they will when they see something wrong. And I believe they do because they often now tell me when they see something that I do is wrong. But I'll also say that, um, you know, we, we've been here in the Twin Cities during the pandemic, you know, um, ironically, I was born in the same city and same neighborhood where George Floyd is from and uh, watched him die at the hands of police here in the Twin Cities. And while we were, you know, avoiding trying to get COVID, you know, my youngest or my, my uh, I would say both my daughters really wanted to be a part of protest. And we did, a, actually did a, a, a kids protest uh, with them here in the Twin Cities. And so it, it's a, this parenting is an imperfect art. Um, and what you have to do is put as much good stuff as you can into them. Uh, and hope that the receipts at the end of the day show that that there are good things that will come from them. Um, but uh, that that's kind of my my best advice. But it it, do, it doesn't uh, get easier. But I will say, you know, the things that my father used to say to me. Sometimes I find him talking to me, and like I'll say those things he used to say to me. And those are the same kind of good lessons that I'm trying to pass on to my daughters. And I'm, my hope is that with enough practice that those uh, opportunities are leading to them saying those same things as well. Thanks for sharing that. Um, my biggest fear played out in um, 2012 during the Sandy Hook Elementary incident massacre. Um, I, at the time, my, my partner and I, we chose not to talk to our kids about it. They were nine and seven respectively at the time. But we did talk a lot about how we were going to change things as we raised our own kids. Um, and what just happened in Uvalde, Texas has just been so profoundly sad. And, 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 and quite frankly, I say sad, but on social media, I've been very angry. <laughs> um, Keith, this question is directed to you. How has that impacted you as a student affairs professional and father, knowing you're raising your kids in a society where this can happen. Yeah, you know, I, I remember Sandy Hook um, very well. I grew up in a community very close to Sandy Hook, so that one hit a little um, personally. Um, the the shooting last week in Evalde, in, the, in Buffalo, there's just far too many of these things, <clears throat> excuse me, that are happening um, in the world. Um, and it's been occupying my thoughts. You know, I, I remember the morning um, after the Evaldi, I, I was doing the normal thing. I was arguing with the kids about getting out of bed, um, what they were eating for breakfast, what they were wearing for school to that day that I didn't think was appropriate. And, um, and I stopped and realized how grateful I was um, for that moment because there were 19 other parents that would want desperately to have those arguments um, that same morning with their kids and um, how fortunate I was. And it, it's really hard um, to, not feel completely totally helpless or powerless um and i think that's normal and i i you know i think we have to allow ourselves to be in that space um and then for me what i try to do is come back to my role um, as an educator um in this moment you know trying to be someone who um, helps to create welcoming and supportive communities um, so that we're focusing on on health and well-being um knowing that that's more important than ever creating a socially just communities where 
difference isn't a division, but, but something that's really valued and expected. Um, creating those educated individuals who are going to go out, change the world, um, impact society through their actions or votes. Um, it's really hard as a student affairs professional um, to, to um, look back at these things and, and try to figure out what we could do to prevent them. But you know, I think there's things that we can do in our work and our leadership um, that can really impact the future. Um, and that's where I try to find um, comfort um, and direction. And, and like everything else, I hug my kids a little harder, a little longer um, when these things happen, um, because it is a, it's a, it's a great fear. And I look at their schools, um, like the way I've never looked at a school before, um, when you drop them off, are the fences there, are the, what are the, you know, where are the points of entry, all, all of the, all of the things that we learned back in our early days being hall directors come, come rushing back to us as I'm, as I'm taking someone to a middle school. And it, it, it there's just some dissonance there. Wow, you just, you, that last comment you made, yeah, I do that too, right? I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the layout of our, our kids, my kids school, all of them from elementary, middle, I knew the layout. I, it's interesting that I actually have to think about that stuff. And I took that directly from being, you know, in Rev's life. So that's really interesting. I wanted to just invite the group, if anybody else wants to add any other thoughts on that, I know that's a tough conversation and tough topic to discuss. No, I was on a ride home with my daughters the other day, and um, and they're at two different schools. And my 15-year-old said they didn't talk about it at all. And my 12-year-old said yes, uh, a lot of students were talking about it. Um, it's one of the most challenging discussions because you know, like the, the, to have a discussion with your kids about you may be in a situation where somebody is is going to do some serious harm not like the the kind of old school harm we used to have where you would go get beat up or jumped you know um but it's real and it's um it's terrifying terrifying and you want to avoid it and i think um in some cases you know it's also hard because we've become so numb to it like we just woke up and went to school the next day after, you know, there's no national day of mourning. There's no institutional day of mourning. We wake up and we go, we go to school the next day. And, you know, that, that was the, the kind of question we talked about, you know, but I, I don't, I don't, that's one that I don't know if I have uh, or will have the right answer for, but I will say that I, I do, extremely concerned and and uh, um, like you mentioned, Pete, continue to just hug them tight, but it can't be the answer. It can't continue to be the answer. That's real, that's definitely real. Wilson? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm gonna, it's interesting because I have to transition from these really tough questions and these tough conversations um, and then uh, I've, I've gone to the section where, um, well, I'm actually just going to transition because I, we're going to hug our kids tight tonight and we're going to tell them a dad joke. Um, so, you know, we, I, I, need to, I need to build on my collection of dad jokes because 
I keep using the same one over and over again. So um, I invite the group, you know, to share with our audience um, a cool, you know, what's interesting. I have a staff member who actually tells dad jokes. It's not a dad, but loves to tell dad jokes at our, to open our staff meetings. And I just love it. So shout out to Sammy. But um, uh, who wants to start? I'd like to hear a dad joke. We, we, let's share dad jokes. Uh, I can get us started. So, um, you know, that is a, a tough transition from talking about, um, you know, these, these school shootings to talking about dad jokes. But, you know, I, I think for me, you know, when thinking about the, the gravity and the weight of a situation uh, like, you know, what our nation experienced uh, a couple weeks ago, um, for me, it just makes me want to be present with my daughter for every moment, because the truth is we we don't have control. We don't know when something like this is going to happen. We don't know when, when anything's going to happen, right? They could, they could get hurt at any time. And, any, you know, it, it could be any number of reasons. Um, and so for me, it's really about trying to be present in the moment and using my tool of mindfulness. So I, I mentioned uh, yoga and mindfulness as something that, that I practice, but also something that I use in my parenting. And um, it, it's amazing because it, it, it really helps me to not um, miss these beautiful moments with my child when I have them, because we just never know when we're not gonna have them, right? Um, and so one of those beautiful moments recently has been uh, my daughter is learning what a joke is. Uh, you know, it's, it's something for me that, you know, I take for granted. I, I know what a joke is. I know how, like what a punchline is and how it's supposed to play out, right? But, uh, but for her, of course, she's learning everything new in the world. Everything is new. And so uh, one of those things is, is how to tell a joke and what a joke means. And, uh, so the other day she came up to me and she was really excited because she had spent the weekend with her grandma and her grandma loves telling jokes. And so she came up to me and she said, dad, what do you, what, what, what is a sheep with no legs? You could tell she had like practiced it. Uh, and I said, I don't know, baby, what is it? And she said, a cloud. <laughs> and she just cracked up laughing. She thought it was so funny. And so that was, you know, just one of the, those moments that I, I, I don't want to miss that, right? Like you, you don't want to be somewhere else in your mind because you never know when you're going to get those moments back. So, um, so that's my, my contribution to the dad joke. Thank you for the contribution to the dad joke. And I, I just want to really quickly because, you know, obviously when, when we build these podcasts and we're trying to come up with questions, I think the, the, the thing that I like, let's do a dad joke, but then, you know, adding the question and then realizing like, okay, how do I transition from a very tough conversation to dad jokes? You know, I'm feeling it right here too, right now, because I'm like, oh, that feels really uneasy and how I did that. So similar to just being a parent, I don't know if I did that right. So just to this group, to the audience out there, you know, um, not my best moment, but that's okay. You know, I just wanted to point that out because it is a tough thing and it is, you know, I'm hoping it leads to good conversations out there with different, uh, with folks as we talk about the challenges of just the society we live in and the fact that, um, you know, we also have, we play that role as being that. So now, Glenn, Glenn, I'll also add, now I probably wouldn't do it in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a student, right? But as we've gone through so much in the last two and a half years, the one thing I think we're, we're talking about a lot specifically on our campus is like gratitude and joy. 
And we have to find those moments of joy. And I think being, um, you know, in any kind of unit, you have to find a way sometimes to smile and laugh at the, the experiences that we're going through because they don't last forever and always. So I think um, uh, the popularity of dad jokes is a, is, a, is a good thing. I'm not sure why dads get these bad jokes. Like why can't the great jokes be for dads? But, um, but I, I do have, uh, I think two, that I think make me laugh kind of hard every time I hear them. So uh, why did the car smell bad? Why? Because it passed gas. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, why that one makes me uh, laugh so hard. But my second favorite one is, how does the taco say grace? How? Let us pray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. oh goodness. I can't help it. Let us pray. Those are great dad jokes. Yeah. Is there a, one more, two more? I, I don't have any dad jokes. Um, but what I, you know, I have teenagers, I said, so I love to find ways to embarrass them. And so I've always been the drop-off dad at school. So I'll offer this tip to folks who listen. Um, you know, when when you have those days when your your kids are being jerks because they can't be jerks, um, and if you have a fiercely independent child like I do, um, the best thing to do is to pull up to the front door of school and drop them off. And after they get out of the car, roll down the window and just shout, Goodbye, Robbie. Daddy loves you. I love you so much. Be a good boy at school. You know, when they're six foot two and 14 years old goes over really well so <laughs> just a tip for, for the future right it is our job to embarrass our kids uh, every waking moment we have and and, and i'm sure they'll they're gonna they maybe they don't uh, now but later on they're gonna love us for that so um we are at end of time and we always close with our wrap-up question um you know, on on our podcast um, since we're called student affairs now, but if you can take a minute to summarize, what are you thinking about now? What are you pondering? What are you reflecting about? Um, also, if you want to leave a message to your child or your children here, please go for it. Um, I'm sure they can check it out. Um, um, they can, they they can, or they might like <laughs> like podcast. For for those who are younger, you can save it. <laughs> but um let's go ahead and um who would like to go first i'll just jump in and say you know i'm just thinking about how no matter what position we hold professionally um this is being a parent being a dad is by far the most important position that we hold every day um, we get to do that professional role for partial of the day um, but being a parent is always present. Um, and I am, I'm, I'm grateful for my children. Um, you know, we, we chose them, they chose us. Um, and um, we just learn from them every single day um, in, in so many ways. And I'm, I'm excited to tell them all about this when we get around the dinner table tonight. That's great. So I can go next. Um, I think one of the the takeaways and lessons from my work as a student affairs educator that that has really stuck with me 
uh, in parenting is this idea of self-work and uh, looking inward and, and really doing my own work first. Uh, and so, you know, I, I really think about that with parenting because I think so much of what I'm um, teaching my daughter, it really starts with me. It starts with the, the model that I give her, the way that I go about, um, you know, walking through the world. It's stuff that I, I won't even mean to teach her, but that she'll pick on, pick up on because that's just, uh, that's just how I am. And so I think for me, it's really trying to pay attention to those little moments when things happen. So, uh, and also acknowledging when I make mistakes. So uh, this just happened yesterday. I picked my daughter up from school and um, her teacher came up to me and she said, so Azalea hit somebody at school today. Um, and it was, you know, this very like, oh, we need to have a serious talk about this. And Azalea spoke up right away, my daughter, she said, well, he hit me first. And I said, this, this was without even thinking, this was just my first reaction. And I said, well, Azalea, what did you do to make him hit you? And, you know, we, we had the conversation and it kind of, uh, we resolved it and then we went home and on the drive home, I was thinking about that response where I said, well, what did you do to make him hit you? And I realized that that is exactly the same kind of mentality that, uh, men and others project onto women who have been the victims of sexual assault, uh, folks of color and, and people of color who have been the, the victim of uh, racialized trauma. And so there, there are these little things that, you know, if you pay attention in parenting, uh, you plant the seeds for what children can expect and how they should expect to behave and be treated when moments like this happen. Um, and so when we got home, I apologized to my daughter. I said, you know what? Uh, no matter what happened, no matter what, you know, transpired before that moment where uh, the boy hit you and you hit him, um, none of that should have happened. You know, none of that should have happened. Um, and I'm sorry, you know, I said, I'm sorry for, for uh, making it seem like it was your fault. Um, so I, I do think a big part of that too is just owning up to our mistakes and recognizing, you know, when we, we are planting those seeds that are going to, um, you know, reinforce that some of that negative uh, stuff that we're, we're always trying to combat against in, in our work. Um, so still more work to do, still lots of learning to do, but, but grateful for the, the community here. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, I'll go. Um, I, I, what I'm thinking about is as I, you know, work at a, uh, and work at several small private liberal arts colleges, work with a ton of really high performing students who I see uh, at this point, right? They, they, everybody is so overwhelmed, right? They are, they are burned out. Um, and the thing I think about is the, the, like, the desires I have for my children versus the desires they have for themselves, you know, and how to, how to balance that as a parent. Cause as I have a 15 year old who's in the ninth grade and I'm already pushing and trying to get her to think about the right kind of college, um, you know, what, what does it, that mean? It's not, it, and I was fortunate that my parents made a way. And um, although I have her look, looking at that list of 13 schools that are gonna be tuition free, um, I'm thinking about what, what does it look like to, for her to make her way and how do I support her and, and the others through that? Um, but hopefully with as little debt as possible. Thank you, Donnie. And Wilson, take us home. 
Yeah, just really appreciate the conversation. I'm, I'm still thinking a lot about your, your question um, a couple of questions ago um, and still mourning for um, the families in Nuvaldi, mourning for Buffalo, mourning for Laguna Woods. I mean, there's, there's so much uh, happening in and around us. And what I've been thinking a lot about um, is this notion of hope and hope as a discipline, right? And the notion of hope as a discipline is not precluding sadness. It's not saying that frustration won't happen. It's not saying that, um, you know, uh, it's not, it, it's calling us, I should say, to a, a practice, right? And I think about what Kyle talked about in terms of what we model for um, our children, but I also think about what we model for our colleagues and our partners and our communities around us. So yes, there are some hard conversations that I intend to have uh, with August, likely very early because of the threat of violence that enwraps him um, um, by, his by the nature of who he is and to continuously remind him um, of what hope can look like, right? And how he can practice hope and how we practice hope um, from day to day. So um, this notion of hope as a discipline, I think as, uh, as parents um, is something that continues to direct me and um, hopefully I can provide some, um, uh, something of use for, uh, for fathers, for parents, mothers um, out there. So, so thank you for the invitation to be part of this. Thank you, and, and thank this panel. I'm really grateful, grateful for all the time um, you've given today and just sharing your contributions to this conversation. Um, I, I wanna give appreciation to uh, Nat Ambrosi, who does our behind the scenes work and as our production assistant, so thank you, Nat. If you're listening today and have not already been receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Go to the bottom, add yourself to our MailChimp list. We're there, check out our archives as well. Um, our sponsors, Simplicity is a global leader in student services technology platforms with the state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the, to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with uh, them uh, on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Um, Stylus is also a proud sponsor of Student Affairs Now podcast. Browse their Student Affairs diversity, professional development titles at styluspub.com. Use our promo code SANOW for 30% off all books and free shipping. You can find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, where they not, <laughs> at, and just at Twitter at styluspub. Um, definitely visit our sponsors. And again, my name is Glendy Guzman. I want to thank our listeners, I want to thank our panel. Um, and just to everyone who is watching or listening, have a great Father's Day and take care. Bye, everybody.